Welcome to the Silver Screen Podcast. I'm Jared Boomer. And I'm Katie Ganey-West. This is a podcast about movies and pop culture. And today we are talking about the new Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City, in theaters now, starring a lot of people in Hollywood, Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, and uh, Tom Hanks, I would say, are probably the three, some of the three main cast in this movie, but there is a ton of people in this movie, so we will talk about that. I did debate putting Tom as one of our top three, but then I was like, my obsession, I don't want it to go overboard, you know, mm-hmm. but I was yeah. really excited to see good old Tom again. Also, I, I'm failing as a fan right now. I still haven't read his book, new book, but I have it. Um, but it's mainly, I've, I've been really trying to keep up with my reading goal for the year. And so sometimes I just have to prioritize other things first. Yeah, I haven't read his new book either. I also saw, I was at the library the other day and they had the audio book and oh. he reads the audio book. So I was <gasps> oh, like, mm, that's magnificent. Should, should I get the audio book and just listen to it? So, right. I haven't decided yet, but mm. um, they did have it. So it's at your local library now if you're interested in Thank you, Jared. Tom Hanks' new book. It uh, has made its way to the libraries. So uh, we do have some news items. First up is that Julian Sands, uh, this just happened earlier this afternoon in a recording. His remains were found. Uh, He went missing five months ago after a hike, and they had not been able to find any evidence of him or locate him at all. But this afternoon, they found remains that they were able to DNA match to him. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that, that case has kind of been solved. Yes. And he, it sounds like he was just very well liked and respected in the acting community um, and a family man, but he was an avid, uh, very skilled hiker. So I don't know. I mean, to me, it sounds like it was just a freak occurrence, whatever happened mm-hmm. to him. Cause they don't really know what happened, but, um, he was by himself. I would not advise, okay. even if you are experienced going by yourself, cause that's exactly the kind of thing that could happen. But so sorry for his family and for that loss. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, in Boy Scouts, they always were like uh, travel in pairs. Yeah. Because don't. if one of you gets hurt, the other one can maybe help. So exactly yeah. right. <laughs> yep. Um, another news item is that Ryan Seacrest is replacing Pat Sajak on Wheel of Fortune. Pat announced that he's retiring after this upcoming season, and there was about a two week period there where we didn't know who was going to host Wheel of Fortune, but Ryan will step in and take on his eighty seventh job. Um, and we'll host Wheel of Fortune. That is what I was wondering. I get, I mean, Ryan Seacrest for what he does for a living, like as far as being a host, I wouldn't want to do that for a 100% of my living, but um, I get why he is respected and I think he's earned the respect, but I don't understand literally when he sleeps, eats, or goes to the bathroom like as a human. Um, So that freaks me out. And I also can't believe that Wheel of Fortune is still running And that Pat Sajak and Vanna White have been on it this long. It's incredible. The whole thing is weird. Um, But congrats to him on his 87th job, like you said. Yeah. Yep. He's got another job. So, uh, you know, congratulations to him on that accomplishment of hosting Wheel of Fortune. Thought maybe like Vanna would take over, but she's just going to keep flipping the letters, I guess. So, uh, you know, I guess that works out for her. So. Um, but that's your that's your game show news. Um, corrections. We do have one correction this week. So last week I was talking about the Academy Awards and how they're changing the requirements for Best Picture and how you will have to show your movie in 10 of the top 50 U.S. cities. 
um, for a week to be considered eligible for Best Picture. Uh, Indy is a top 50 city by population. It's either 14th or 16th, depending on a couple of different things that I looked at um, from various years. So um, it is in the top 50 and could be a possible city that would be included in that, you know, Best Picture eligibility. So that's really exciting. Um, but I'm sad that I don't live in Indy anymore. Yeah, I was looking for Ohio cities and I think Cleveland was on there, but I don't think I did not see Columbus or Dayton. So um, those were not those were not in the top 50 uh, cities by population. So but Indy is. And so it could be a possible uh, spot for some best picture nominated movies to release before they release like wide or go into a bunch of theaters. So um, and then also our 200th episode is coming up very soon. We're just a couple of weeks away. We're at 195 right now. So we're getting close to our 200th episode. We're thinking of doing a list possibly or a ranking of some sort. So if you have any ideas for that, if you have any suggestions of things you would like us to uh, rank or maybe discuss, like we've done our favorite movies from the 90s before. We've done our favorite movies overall, but it's been a while since we've done that. So that list may have changed a little bit. Um, And we've done uh, some other things as well. But if you have any interesting ideas for for a list or a topic that maybe we can talk about on our, our 200th episode, let us know. Yes. And come to think of it, maybe I'll post something on Instagram to see if people have ideas tonight just to, to get a feel for that. But I cannot believe 200 episodes, Jared. That's huge. Yeah, that's a lot. So go us. I mean, that's a, that's a bunch of episodes. So... Um, our 200th is coming though. So stay tuned on what we're going to discuss. I don't know exactly what movie we're going to review on that episode either. I haven't looked at the schedule yet to see what lines up with that, but, um, I'm sure it'll be something good. So. I was kind of hoping it was Barbie Oppenheimer week, but I think, <laughs> I it'll think we be... missed that by just a little bit. I yeah. know. I, yeah, but it's okay. So, um, we also have some recommendations for you. I will say I have been, trying to rewatch the Mission Impossible movies as we get ready for the new one that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, I've watched the first three so far, which I had never seen before. I had seen four, five, and six, but I'd never seen one, two, and three. Out of those, I would recommend the first one and the third one. The second one was not as good. Uh, most people think it's the worst one in the whole series. It was very cheesy. Um, I thought it just wasn't super well done, but three was a lot better. And then four, five, and six are obviously really good. All three of those. Um, so, but if you're if you're wanting to rewatch those before before the new one comes out again, watch the first one because it's kind of iconic. And then I'd say you could skip two or watch like a recap of two, and then just jump right into three. So. Jared, I have not seen a single one, uh, mainly because of my disdain for Tom Cruise. But if I want to watch the first one, where can I watch that right now? That is on Paramount Plus right now. That's where I have been watching them. So actually, okay. all six are on there if you have Paramount Plus. So I don't, but I'll find okay. a way. <laughs> um, but, but that's great. And thanks for the reminder, because Jared and I were talking before this show and we're talking about the new Indiana Jones movie. We're talking about Mission Impossible. I haven't seen the most recent Indiana Jones movies prior to the one that's about to come out. I've never seen Mission Impossible. So we'll see. Um, I definitely don't care enough uh, for either of the recent franchises to watch them. I love the original Indiana Jones, and I've seen those, mm-hmm. but um, I'm not going to go back. But I yeah, might I go watch Mission Impossible 1. Okay. I can probably squeeze in. Yeah, watch maybe Mission Impossible 1. Okay. And then maybe watch the most recent one, too, the sixth and what's, one. 
What's this one? This one is Dead Reckoning. But like so, what number? This will be number seven. So Good heavens. And this Hollywood is Hollywood just is, won't quit, will they? This is a two part uh thing too, like Spider Verse. So this is only oh, part one. So yeah. I know. <laughs> Tom was a you know how they always have clickbait articles and yeah. stuff, but he went to a party the other night and they were like, Tom Cruise looks worse for wear as he leaves the cast party or whatever it was. Oh. And he did look awful. He looked really inebriated and just real bad. Okay. Yeah. And maybe you- he wasn't inebriated. I don't know what that man does, but he didn't look good. He's probably exhausted, honestly. He These could things be take a lot out of you. Yeah. <laughs> He's still recovering from Top Gun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, my uh, recommendations are very short because Jared and I also recorded recently, so not a lot's happened quite yet. Um, I read a book called My Murder by Katie Williams, great name. Um, It was, of course, a book of the month pick. My best friend Kylie and I are reviewing that for a book club we're doing. It was a very quick read. And I did, I think this is interesting for any sci-fi fans. It's a thriller, but it had elements to me quite a bit of sci-fi. Um... And it basically, this woman, there's, she like lives in a world that's very much like today, here and now. But if you get murdered, people can bring you back from the dead. There's like a commission hmm, okay. that will bring people back. Um, and so I won't ruin anything, but there's five women. They were all killed by this serial killer at one time. The woman that's narrating the story, she's one of the women that was brought back. Um, so it just had an interesting list of questions and then dealing with like knowing who your killer is. And all that stuff. But there was definitely sci-fi involved. It was good. It wasn't my favorite book of the year. But I thought it was a really interesting concept and well done. And it was a quick read. Again, called My Murder. And then uh, just wanted to say I started the And Just Like That um, watch for season two. They've released two episodes so far on Max. I'm halfway through the second one. So I'll finish that tonight. I will say there's a lot of sexual activity in the first five minutes of the first episode. So if you were wanting Sex in the City's spinoff to have more sex in it, you're going to get it. Um, <laughs> but I was also like, wow, we are we are full steam ahead on this season. Um, but the fashion already has been so on point. And if you are like me and half the reason you watch that show is just to like see the fashion, you will not be disappointed. And Aiden has not shown up yet within the first – uh, episode and a half, but we know he's coming. So I, I just can't wait. <laughs> nice. So I have not watched it in just like that. Uh, I probably will not be checking that out. Um, my other mm-hmm. recommend. Wow. Would Haters be... going to hate, you know? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, the bear. I'm seven episodes oh, into yeah. the second season of the bear. It's very good so far. There's three episodes left. I'm interested to see how they end the season. So I will probably have that finished before we record our next episode. So Better I'll report back and I'll let you know. Um, I don't know. I, okay. I don't feel like I can judge it until it wraps up because they're they're culminating towards um this big moment. And so depending on okay. how they handle that, that will kind of judge my my thoughts on the season probably. So Okay. Well I fully plan on watching it, but okay. I wasn't as taken by it as a lot of men I know. And mm-hmm. so I I care about it, but not <laughs> I wasn't gonna watch that before it just like that, you know. I will say this season focuses on some more of the other characters that are not oh, uh, no. Carmine, so not Jeremy Allen White. But I've actually been liking that. I think it's the storytelling that they've done with it has been pretty good and focusing on some of the supporting cast because you get to know them a little bit better. So there's one I don't want to trigger anybody. There's one character I just I hate. I hate so much on the show, um, and I worry. <laughs> 
I worry that that's one of the characters you're talking about. <laughs> the, the show's going to focus on that person. So we'll Maybe, see. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, depends we'll on who see. you're talking but about. But I'll watch so. it either way. And I've I've heard from the people that I know that have either finished it already or watched several episodes. They've all said it's really good. So Nice. So yeah. those are our recommendations. And now we'll get into our thoughts on Asteroid City, released on June 23rd, rated PG-13 for some suggestive material, smoking, and brief graphic nudity. Um, this movie was originally rated R, but they appealed it with the MPA, and they got a PG-13 rating, even though this mm-hmm. does have uh, full frontal nudity in it. It is very brief. And you also see it from sort of far away, too. So yeah. They probably changed some things to get that PG-13 rating, but it is PG-13. We'll just be warned there is nudity in the movie um, for just a second. So the runtime is an hour 44, an hour 45 minutes, depending on what you look at closer there. We're getting closer to just reporting the same time <laughs> on everything. There. We're almost there. Uh, IMDb is a 7.1 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes critics score 74%. Audience, 62%. So I was really shocked by those it. scores. Yeah, those are um, sort of low, I guess, for a Wes Anderson movie. Um, and usually audiences don't like this as much as critics just because they are they're a certain style. And we'll talk about that in the likes and dislikes. And you kind of have to buy into that. Um, and if mm-hmm. you're not, if you don't buy into that, you're not going to like the movie as much. And that's completely understandable. If you don't like if you don't like Wes Anderson's style, his style is kind of the same for all of his movies. So, you know, if you watched like Moonrise Kingdom or Grand Budapest and were like, I don't really like that one, then you probably won't love this one because it's, you know, the same type of filmmaking going on. So, Jared, I wrote a note that's almost exactly what you just said. <laughs> like almost word for word. Well, sorry to ruin that. Uh, no, before we get down to that. You're just, so. you're just ahead of me. Um, and then box office wise, domestically, it's made $10 million. Worldwide, it's made $16 million. These movies ever make a ton of money um, which makes me wonder how all these famous people are in them. Now, granted, they're all short scenes, but I'm wondering if they just don't pay them very much or if they don't pay them at all and they just show up and do it like just because, you know, right. they'll they'll knock out their two scenes and then move on and go throughout their day. I'm not sure, but I'm always interested by the fact that his movies don't make a ton of money, but yet they always have very like star-studded casts in them. Yeah. I mean, I'm confused by that too. That hadn't occurred to me. I just noticed how low the numbers were, but I also thought, oh, that seems maybe typical for a Wes Anderson film. I don't know. Um, but I do know that they showed this at Cannes, right? I think um, so. And it or was Sundance or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I I mean, I feel that's a big deal in itself. So it is weird to me that this film is just not ranking very highly. I don't know. But maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, you know? Let me see if I can find out real quick. Yes, it was a can. You are correct. I was going to say, because so, I know yep. Scarlett Johansson was there and a couple other people that were in it. So I would imagine that's what yeah. they, were, they were there for. It did premiere at the film festival back in May. Um, so this movie, uh, the synopsis for this one is it's following a writer on his world famous fictional play about a grieving father who travels with his tech obsessed family to small rural asteroid city. To complete in a junior compete in a junior stargazing event, only to have his worldview disrupted forever. And this movie is directed by Wes Anderson. He co-wrote this film with Roman Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola's son. Um, also, did you get a preview before this for the new Sophia Coppola movie about no, I Priscilla didn't. Presley? I, okay, I know. Um, you know what? I did get a preview for. I think you and I had mentioned. At some point, I think we might have just been talking offline about past lives. 
mm-hmm. how yeah. that was going to be like a big deal. So I got a preview for that though. And that movie looks, I mean, it looks heartbreaking because of the content, but it also looks really good. I could see that being like a, an Oscar darling. Yeah. I did not get a preview for that, but I've heard really great things okay. that people that are loving it. That looks really good. I also got a preview for Ethan Cohen's new movie, Drive Away Dolls. I don't oh. know if you got that. It's about two nope. uh, women who go on a road trip to Tallahassee, and like uh, Matt Damon's in it, Pedro Pascal's in it. Um, it looked good though, so that was that was a standout from the previews as well. And the and the Sofia Coppola Priscilla Presley movie. That preview was really short, like almost a teaser. But um, interested to see kind of that take because we don't get a lot of like Priscilla movies. We get a bunch of Elvis yeah. movies or a bunch of stuff about Elvis, but we don't get a ton of stuff about Priscilla. So I also don't know why I don't know why these resurgences happen when they do, because um, something about that comes up uh, in this movie as well for me. But like Elvis, I don't know why Elvis is a big deal now. Like it's not really an anniversary of his death. A lot of his family members have died recently, but. I think that's interesting that um, things come in waves like that. So Wes is known for obviously his unique storytelling, and he's done a bunch of movies at this point, including The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Royal Tenenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom, and The Fringe Dispatch. He's been nominated for seven Oscars for directing, original screenplays, and best picture. Next up, he will direct The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. And I think one of the first movies we saw together was The Grand Budapest Hotel. It was pretty early on. It might have been. So. I know that um, later, Jason Schwartzman was in Saving Mr. Banks, and that was one of the yes. that I saw that movie the day I met you, but were you were you at that one? You met me no. after. Yeah. Okay. Our first movie was movie. Wolf of Wall Street. You Got know? it. <laughs> That's right. The first and time we met, we saw Wolf of Lewin Wall Street. Davis inside Louis yeah. Davis. Got it. <laughs> Wow, what a, a day. And it was a like fun story. the yeah. movies got progressively more depressing <laughs> and chaotic. Yeah, well, and, and, Wolf and, of Wall Street was the most chaotic, but it was yeah. Saving Mr. Banks was like super sad. And then Wolf of Wall Street was a mess. And then Inside Lewin Davis again. It's like even sadder. Yeah. Depressing. Yeah. We, we should have switched the order on that probably. Like, yeah. Should have done maybe Lewin Davis first and mm-hmm. then maybe Wolf of Wall Street and then Saving Mr. Banks to kind of end on a semi-positive note you know because like saving mr banks is more about walt disney um and so like he did some cool things whereas like jordan belfort um you know probably not as many cool things also there is a i can't remember if i mentioned this on the podcast i can't remember but um you know there's a big debate right now about uh whether you see oppenheimer or barbie first like yeah we did talk about that okay i thought so yep and i've decided to see barbie first okay Um, mainly because of when people that we all wanted to go together as a group and that was when people could see it. So I know Barbie's happening first. Um, I did end up ordering a Barbenheimer t-shirt and I'm really (laughs) excited about it. And it is, it has shipped and is on the way. (laughs) Very nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's probably a good choice. Also Oppenheimer is longer anyway. It's three hours and Barbie's an hour and 54 minutes. So yeah, that's a nice starter, I think. So, and then save Oppenheimer for the Saturday afternoon, evening, you know just really long drama filled movie. So (laughs) um, we'll take a quick break here on the show. We'll come back. We'll talk more about asteroid city, the cast for this one and our likes and dislikes here on the silver screen podcast. And we're back here on the Silver Screen Podcast talking about Asteroid City, directed by Wes Anderson. This movie has a large cast, but in the lead role is Jason Schwartzman, who's been in a lot of other Wes Anderson movies, playing a character named Augie Steenbeck. 
Thank you, Jared. I was going to insert or ask you to insert rather like six crush alerts for this film. Um, but I won't because I don't want to blow anyone's eardrums or anything like that. But Jason Schwartzman, I don't think I ever recognized how handsome he was until this movie. And I've seen him in things, but it, maybe it was just his outfits. I don't know. But Jason Schwartzman plays Augie Steenbeck. He is best known for Rushmore, The Darjeeling Unlimited, Moonrise Kingdom, and Saving Mr. Banks. He also voiced Spot in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which we just covered on the podcast. Next up, he has seven upcoming projects, including Between the Temples, Queer, and Megalopolis. Then we have Scarlett Johansson, who I would also give a crush alert to. She plays Midge Campbell. Scarlett is known for Lost in Translation, her marriage story, and Jojo Rabbit, and for her role as Natasha Romanoff slash Black Widow in the Avengers franchise. Uh, she has been nominated for two acting Oscars, one for Jojo Rabbit and one for Marriage Story. Next up, she has, I think, six upcoming projects already listed, but some of them include My Mother's Wedding, Tower of Terror, and Project Artemis, which we had mentioned in a previous episode that's based on a book. And then the cast, I will name just the top maybe 20 people uh, build, but this movie is also starring Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Maya Hawke, Rupert Friend, Margot Robbie, Jake Ryan, Grace Edwards, Leif Schreiber, Steve Carell, Tilda Swinton, Adrian Brody, Tony Revolori, and more. Yes, a uh, loaded cast for loaded. Asteroid City. So um, some of those people in the movie more than others, which we'll talk about here in likes and dislikes. Like, uh, you know, the ones I think you listed near the start there, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Brian yeah. Cranston, they're in it a little bit more than Steve Carell. Adrian Brody and you know Margot Robbie's in it basically for one scene. So right. if you're going to see the movie for her, I'm sorry to say you'll probably be a little disappointed. And she's also you can right just at the see end. her at Barbie yeah. in three weeks. Yeah, just go just go see Barbie if you want to see Margot Robbie. Um, so first up for likes, um, this was one thing that was a little confusing to me, but I think I figured it out by the end of the movie. But you okay. had it as a like, as you liked the setup of a play. I just couldn't figure out if we were seeing the play and then like you know the part that was in color was like them acting out the play or if the events happened first and then they wrote the play based on those events but i think by the end i had figured out that it was it was the play we were just seeing the play correct and then like flashing back to when they were working and rehearsing the play yeah oh okay. this is really interesting so okay. i do think this could be a big i think that you and i felt differently about this movie i think we both liked it i think i just liked it quite a bit more but I I saw it as uh, when we saw everything in color and stuff, that was like the play as it was Happening. written or whatever okay. and unfolding and everything. And then anything in black and white was while he was working through like uh, the script or ideas and stuff like that, what was going on. And one of the main things that made me think that was he has a scene where he's with Jason Schwartzman and they kiss like as if they're having, you know, a, a gay love affair, which good for them. Um but to me, that seems like something that was maybe happening either in his mind, like, oh, I would love this guy's really hot that I'm writing into this play, or in real life, that actor that he then cast, they had a love affair. I don't know. But I do think that the color part was actually the play that we were seeing. And I will say that Brian Cranston kind of explains that right up front at the beginning of the movie. But I don't know, maybe I just wasn't ready for like needing to 
remember that many details 30 seconds into the movie because like it starts and then he's like basically explaining you know the three act thing it's going to be before the asteroid hits a day after the asteroid hits and then like a week after the asteroid hits um so i picked up on that i picked up on the axe but the play thing was just a little confusing to me in terms of you know was the play based on the events that we are seeing or is the events that we are seeing just them acting out the play so but I think I understand a little bit better now. So good. <laughs> um, another like is this movie does have a great cast, but a lot of the same people pop up in Wes Anderson movies. I will say this one does have some different faces in it that we it haven't does. seen in a while. But like, if you don't like Jason Schwartzman, he's in a lot of Wes Anderson movies. If you don't like Edward Norton, he's in a lot of Wes Anderson movies. Adrian Brody is in a lot of Wes Anderson movies. Love, um, love him. So the, the same people are in a lot of Tilda Swinton is another one that is in a lot yep. of Wes Anderson movies. Um, so if you don't like those actors, he does tend to reuse the same actors quite a lot and has like his own little, I don't know, cinematic universe going on with these people and them being in his movies. Um, I think some of them, some are okay. Like I think Jason Schwartzman did a very good job in this movie in the lead role. Um, uh-huh. But I think that the the reuse of people over and over again can get a little tiring at times. I think my main gripe is Edward Norton. He is just one of those people that I've just never liked uh, in general, on or off screen. I do think he is a good actor. I, I liked him in this role, but every time I see him, I just automatically roll my eyes without even thinking about it. I'm just like this guy again. Um, so I do get tired of seeing him. I was glad. I would say he had a supporting role i don't know that mm-hmm. it was a main because i do think that we saw the other characters a lot more than him he just and, and something about him i just don't like um adrian brody i really love so fine by me um i did <laughs> like seeing like scarlett johansson i really liked i that was another like separately for me was i thought scarlett johansson and jason Schwartzman were fantastic in their roles specifically i thought they stood out above the rest. I thought everybody did a good job. I don't think anybody was actually miscast or did a poor job, but those two were fantastic. And especially Scarlett, um, for her character in the time period, she seemed like someone straight out of a Hitchcock film. Like she fit the look of that time period, um, both what they were going for, but also just in general, like she could, she could very easily have been born in that time period. And I would fully believe it. And she did a wonderful, wonderful job. Um, And I will say this is unrelated, but just to Scarlett, um, and I don't mean this as a judgment, I did look up if she did the full frontal nudity, if that was actually her. And it looks like, yes, like that is her. She has also been naked in another film. Not that that matters. I'm just saying she's done it before, so I can't say it's a shock that she did it again. But I did wonder, because of how the scene was filmed, I wondered if they use a body double, but it doesn't seem like they did. And if I looked like that um, naked, I would be I would be doing full frontal nudity <laughs> scenes as well. So kudos <laughs> to you, Scarlett. Um, another like that I had is that, you know, besides from the, the play, was it really happening or not thing, I thought that the story made sense and was believable like how all these people got in this location like there's basically a big 
conference slash summer camp thing for these really smart kids that are interested in astronomy and space stuff. And so they all come to this area because they can, you know, see the moon very clearly and see the ellipses and, and uh, all that stuff. So I thought that made a lot of sense to get everybody there. And then obviously like Jason Schwartzman's character, the car breaks down. So that's how we get Tom Hanks in on things. Um, and then everybody else is kind of just uh, people coming to this event. But I thought that made a lot of sense because sometimes I would think maybe one criticism of Wes Anderson movies is he uses so many people at times that I feel like sometimes their characters are kind of out of place or just pop up like out of nowhere. Um, I got that a little bit in the French Dispatch, I think. This movie I thought did a better job of making it making it flow a little bit better and making it make sense that all these characters would be in the in the same place at the same time. Yes, I do think I liked this. I think compared to so many films I saw this year, this one was just way better. I think that might have helped overall my feelings about it was just some, uh, there haven't been a lot of movies this year that have blown me away so far. Um, But I agree with you. There are things in this film and in some of his other films where I'm just kind of confused. And I wouldn't say that I, I don't fully buy into his style, but I like, I definitely lean into the camp of liking his style. Um, so that that aids the film quite a bit. Um, another like is the soundtrack is good for this one. Alexander Desplat did the score for yeah. this movie, a uh, very famous composer. And it's not a very like bombastic score at all. It's very kind of just quiet and mellow. A lot of like Western sounding music because mm-hmm. they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. Uh, but it did fit the movie really well. Yes, agreed. I don't really have anything to add to that, but I wanted to call it the music because he did an excellent job uh, with the score and then picking the recorded songs for it. So you had a a question as well. Yes. Yes. Did your movie have subtitles throughout the entire thing? No, it did not. It only had subtitles at the part where the little boy sings the song with the um, like... (laughs) That musicians there so it had it had cute. the lyrics down there so that because he was singing kind of twangy um right. so i felt Very like that was a, a decision to just put the lyrics in there so you know what he was saying um but okay. the rest of the movie had no subtitles no our entire film did i huh, don't okay. know if that was because potentially someone in the audience needed it and asked for it ahead of time i don't know if it's because i went to a small independent theater where maybe they're trying to appeal to like all abilities and mm-hmm. stuff and what people need i don't really know or if it was something where somebody had subtitles on and then the movie started and they were like oh crap and then forgot to turn it off <laughs> so it could have been any number of reasons but i didn't know if that was a uh like an actual wes anderson wanted the subtitles for this film okay yeah i did not get subtitles again except for that one part where the kid is, the is kid. singing so man that kid that, cracked me well yeah that's sorry what Oh, I was going to say that was kind of leading into my next like is that I thought all the kids in this movie did a really good yes. job in their roles. So They were so good. <laughs> I was going to say overall, my next point, that's a perfect segue, is the comedic timing of this film. There were so many lighthearted moments, um, even things when they're talking about like the death of a mom, like they say things that make you laugh and very uncomfortable, maybe nervous laughter. I loved the three daughters, uh, Jason Schwartzman's daughters in it. They are all like witches and a fairy and a vampire, right? I think so, yeah. That's, and then they, they have, have their <laughs> they have a couple scenes with Tom Hanks, which are really yes, cute. So, which was yeah. so cute. You can tell he's just probably really good with kids naturally. <laughs> um, yeah, the kids were hysterical. That kid singing that twangy song with Rupert Friend. I, ah. Uh, 
I that I got some deep belly laughs. So those kids are adorable. And and really everybody, the comedy was so good. You know, another person that I thought was a total scene stealer, which we should never be surprised, was Steve Carell. Yeah, yeah. Steve Carell. I would agree. He just seems like to me, he definitely is one of the most beloved people in Hollywood. Very easy to love him. He seems truly wonderful in real life. But he he has this role. He's like the manager of the motel, I guess, or this motor park. <laughs> just a ridiculous guy. And then he always wants to know if you want tomato, orange, or apple juice. Is that right? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are, no, apple. I think it's yeah, Which tomato, pick, apple, or orange. I would pick orange. I think I would too. So, yeah. but yeah, always asking your juice preference. Um, uh-huh. Has a little green visor that he wears the entire movie, <laughs> which is just like very funny. And then has another quirky thing. He has all these vending machines outside the motel yes. that like can and sell you, can you basically land. anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, that's what it wasn't it the twangy kid too, who later was like <laughs> counting his change and like walking around looking at plots of land. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh, so funny. Oh. So right. at the I I don't know if you noticed this, but at near the end of the movie, there's that emotional scene with Jason Schwartzman and his son and Tom Hanks, and then in the background is Steve Carell with a glass of like uh, tomato juice. No, because right right before that scene, he comes in and asks Jason Schwartzman like what juice he wants, and he tells yeah, him, and, and then he's like tomato, and then he's in the back of that scene with the three of them just holding the glass that. of juice. Yeah, that was funny. So um, there was. There's another kid. I don't remember his name or his character, but like when you watch a movie, you'll see him. He's one of the older kids, but he's just doing a bunch of dumb stuff throughout the whole movie. The, like the, at one point, the Dare Me kid. Yeah, the Dare Me kid. Like yeah. he jumps off this building at one point, which was great comedic timing, just like how they filmed that and it planned was. it. Um, it got a big laugh in my theater. And then he did a, a few other things that were just like, you know, very funny moments. I think that's like everybody knows a kid like that too. Yeah. We all yeah. as adults we know someone's child like that. And then when we were kids, everybody knew that kid in class. You're like, okay, get over yourself. Yeah. I so, won't say names, but I can think of people in my class <laughs> growing up right now that was that uh, guy. Um, we already talked about this just a little bit, but um Scarlet and Jason in the lead roles were both very good. They had very good chemistry. Um, they worked well together. They're both like uh, like single parents. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic. They have kids around the same age. So the writing works very well to kind of connect them naturally. And they do a really good job of playing off one another and, and acting with each other very well. I mean, they're the two leads in this movie. Uh, they get the most screen time and they both do a, a good job. Although I was surprised that Jason's wife had just died, freshly died yeah, three weeks yeah. prior. Like three and he's weeks already prior. sleeping with Midge and... <laughs> Like, just, you know, it's fine. It was the 50s or whatever. And to be fair, his wife, it sounded like, had been very sick for a long time. But mm-hmm. still, he moved rather fast. Yeah, but it is but Hollywood they, and it is a movie. So They took her in the Tupperware. So, you know, that's fine. She's in the Tupperware. So, yeah, yeah. She's in the Tupperware. And my uh, parents have a bowl. Or at least they did. I don't know if they still have it. But they had a bowl that was my whole childhood that was just like that. It was that color. It was everything. <laughs> it was like that exact bowl. <laughs> Um, another person in the cast that I wanted to shout out, well, actually two people real quick. 
Um, I thought Tilda Swinton did a really good job as like the professor um, that is at this Hicken area. Looper. Hicken, yeah, Dr. Hickenlooper. I thought she was really good. And then I thought Maya Hawk was also good as the school teacher. This is her first time being in a, a Wes Anderson movie, but I thought she fit very well. Um, and her role was pretty funny too. I mean, she's continually trying to like do lessons on the planets and then um, there's, there's something that happens, which we won't spoil, but um, the kids are all basically distracted by that thing instead of trying to learn about actual other stuff. So Tilda is so weird. Like, yeah, she in, is in life, but she's always good. I was really impressed. I really liked Maya and Rupert together. Mm-hmm. Rupert yeah. friend who I have an enormous crush on. Um, <laughs> but I thought that they had a really good dynamic together and I liked both of their performances. And it was nice to hear Maya teaching the kids about the planets and saying there were nine when she talked mm-hmm. about Pluto. Yes, she did. So yeah. um, also kind of interesting that this is set in the same time period and uh, mentions atom bombs and you see them a, a couple of times on screen when like we have Oppenheimer coming out in a few weeks, which is obviously going to be way more about that than this movie was. But interesting that it's always interesting when two movies kind of dealing with similar topics come out around. Yeah. The same did time. you notice that before I put that? Cause I last I, night when I, I was didn't really make it, the I was connection, like, but yeah, I did see, I mean, they, they test an atom bomb like two or three times in the movie and they're in this diner and it just shakes violently every time they do it. Um, well, even yeah. how they quarantine them and how they're in yeah. a water park because of the thing that we're not talking about that happens, uh, how they keep them all there and they're kind of investigating what happened. That's very much like what we're about to see in Oppenheimer mm-hmm. because the scientists and their families had to move to this remote location so that they could work on the Manhattan Project. They couldn't leave. It was very similar. Um, and it was this time period that these tests and things were going on. So I just, I well, I think this was a little past it, but... Um, Still very interesting. And I noticed that. And I thought, again, what is this weird connection where multiple movies are dealing with the same kind of thing? But I don't know if there's an anniversary or something coming up where everyone's talking about this. And then final like before we move into dislikes, obviously, this is kind of always the case with a Wes Anderson movie. But the set design is really, really good. And the whole aesthetic fits together really nicely in terms of costumes, set design, how everything looks on the screen. Um, all of that. And the costumes in this one, I thought, were, were some of the best maybe in a Wes Anderson movie in a while. Yes. Uh, totally agree with you. I think that's one of the things he does best that I really appreciate is the production design and value. The costumes, I couldn't agree with you more, Jerry. I don't even know one of his films that I like the costumes better than this one. This was superb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the Grand Budapest comes close to me. I think the costumes yeah. in that movie are really good. But I think this is probably the best one since that with the costumes and everything's very bright and vibrant and colorful. Uh, Tom Hanks wears some crazy pants. So that's he does. I fun. really liked Tom's outfits probably the most. <laughs> well, I liked midges. I liked Scarlett's mm-hmm. outfits the most. Yeah. But yeah. But then Tom Hanks would be my second favorite. Yeah. Uh, Brian Cranston also in his his blue yeah. suit when he pops in for one scene uh, was, yeah. was funny. Uh, oh, am I not in this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just back off screen. Um, okay. On to dislikes. Uh, Wes Anderson as a person and maybe as a director is a little bit problematic in certain areas. So one thing that he did is he voted to keep Roman Polanski in the Academy of Motion Pictures as a member of the Academy. Obviously, Roman Polanski has had a very troubled past. He's still making movies now. It seems like Hollywood has moved on from those those issues, even though he did very bad things in the past, obviously, um, and may continue to do them. And we just don't 
hear about them as much now. But well, and he's not here. Yeah, yeah. He's not allowed in the United States because he will be uh, like brought to Extra- trial, extradited, and- basically. Yeah, yeah, yep. So. Um, so yeah, Wes is a little bit problematic, and then also people have brought up some possible racism and portrayals of women uh, in his movies. So and just just something to kind of think about a little bit um, with with Wes and his directing and everything. Also, he's I've always kind of not liked the fact that he makes these very odd movies and then doesn't want to talk about them. I'm like, yes, if if you make a movie that is going to have questions or is going to have things that people are going to be interested in or whatever the case may be. And I'm not saying you have to discuss every little plot detail in your movie, but the fact that he drops these movies and then really doesn't do like any press or any interviews or anything like that. And it's just like, well, this is the movie. Um, I don't know. I've just always found that a little off putting that he's not willing to like discuss his work with like a Stephen Colbert or somebody. Uh huh. I'm right there with you, Jared. I have noticed that myself. And um, I wanted to point out too, I'm I'm trying to be good about, because this came up so much lately with Ezra Miller. I, I can sometimes separate the art from the artist. A lot of times I have a hard time with that delineation, but I think it's important um, with like a platform like this and stuff to tell people about things so they're aware. So that's why I wanted to bring up issues with Wes Anderson. I don't know much about the racism claims. I've read a couple things um, and how he portrays women. Sometimes I think that's a product of also like what time period it is. Or like you even look at this movie, this was in the fifties, but at the same time, Midge very much had a voice and her own seemed very, very strong willed. So I don't know that she was portrayed in a bad way, but she was used as obviously a sex symbol. Um, quite a bit. And then the other thing, just to mention about Roman Polanski. So he's accused of rape um, and uh, uh, pedophilia because mm-hmm. yeah. he has, we know has raped a 13 year old girl um, and drugged her. So, and that was in 1977. Um, but I did want you to know too. So there was a petition that was signed by a lot of people that we hear about these days, Guillermo del Toro, Sam Mendes, Wes Anderson, Woody Allen, hilarious. Um, <laughs> because he's accused of similar things, Harrison Ford, among others. But then people have also pulled their support of it. So Emma Thompson and Natalie Portman later retracted their names from the petition or expressed regret over signing it. Um, but anyway, that's that's the whole thing with Roman Polanski. I think he's a, a horrible person. Um, I am firmly against him and try not to talk about him much, except to say he's horrible. Um, but I did also read... Wes Anderson, his favorite movie, he claims is Rosemary's Baby, which Roman Polanski directed. So that could be another reason why he thinks he's such a great um, person, or maybe he respects the art, not the artist. I don't know. But it is hard for me to see a Wes Anderson film and not kind of in the back of my mind remember these things and these accusations. And I agree with you, Jared. I think it's weird that he doesn't publicize his movies, and he also just seems like a very weird dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just seems kind of kind of odd. So yeah, um, another dislike. This could be a dislike for you. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, but his movies all have the same type of style and kind of setup and things. So if you like that, you probably like his movies. But if you don't like that, you you probably won't like his movies. And that is a little off putting um, in terms of the fact that he's just doing the kind of same type of movie every time with a different story and maybe a little bit of a different cast. But visually aesthetically um from a storytelling perspective you know it's going to be like a quirky dry humor sarcastic joke type thing um so those are you know he's not he doesn't have i guess extremely wide range as a director he does one thing and he does it 
very well. Um, mm-hmm. But he hasn't really stepped out of those those boundaries very much. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's like an incredibly inventive uh, director. Like like you said, challenges himself to try different things. But I personally like his style a lot, and I really like his movies. I haven't seen all of them, but everyone I've seen I thought has been great. Mm-hmm. Um, my last dislike personally, I just wanted to bring this up. The nudity didn't bother me. I'm obviously a female. I have those same parts and everything. Um, and I thought it was fair- tastefully done. I mean, it's not it's not like it was a graphic pose or anything. However, I did want to point out, I don't think it was necessary in the film, and I do hate when that happens. Um if Scarlett Johansson's fine with it, good for her. I, as an actor, would not want to do full frontal nudity that will forever be seen um, if it doesn't do anything to aid the film. Like, she could have dropped her towel in that scene and we would have known she was naked. So I don't like when they do that. And also by doing that, you're changing the rating. You're changing the ability of who can see this movie and what age group it's appropriate for. It affects a lot more than just us saying if Scarlett Johansson's hot or not, and we already know she is. Um, and, and in a way it also leaves people open to being objectified. So I didn't like that and I don't think it was necessary and I will dock it a few points for that. Understandable. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, a good point there. Also, another thing that we didn't really bring up is a lot of Wes Anderson movies have smoking as well. Um, Mm. so like tobacco use, if you're not a fan of that, like a ton of Wes Anderson and the people smoke in this movie a lot. So that's just a, a thing that happens in his movies quite a lot. So Yeah. Um, Okay, on to our scores now for Asteroid City. What are you going to give this one? Okay, man, I'm I'm still (laughs) debating about this, but because this is one of the this is one of my favorite things I've seen this year. Mm -hmm. Fair, but I might give it. I'm going to I'm just looking at some of the other ones I've done. Okay. Okay, I feel pretty okay about this. I'm going to go ahead and give it an 83 because, again, okay. we can always change things by the end of the year. It's absolutely one of my favorite. Right now, it's in my top five for okay. this year. But again, I mentioned I haven't been impressed by a lot of movies yet this year. But we have to be fair. It's not Oscar season and all that. So I'm sure those films are coming. I did think this was good. I really like his style. This is I do think in the um, span of Wes Anderson films that I've seen, I think this is my third favorite. Okay, I would put... Grand Budapest Hotel and Royal Tenenbaums above it. That makes sense. So um, I am going to give this one a little bit lower score than you. I'm going to give it a 77 out of 100. Okay, fair. I I did enjoy it. I think right now it would probably be in my top 10, but it'll probably fall out by the end of the year because I have some things like Guardians of the Galaxy, John Wick, Air, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, Mm. um, Creed 3. All of those are in my top 10 currently at this point. And some of those will probably stay and some of those will probably drop off a little bit. Um, But I think this one will probably probably be like a top 20, 25 movie when all is said and done at the end of the year. Um, But it's still really solid. Now, I don't know if you need to go see it in a theater. That's great if you want to support, you know, the actors and actresses involved in this movie and if you want it to you know be successful but i don't think this necessarily demands being seen on on the big screen possibly yeah i understand that so 
Cool. So 77 out of 100 for me for Asteroid City. And you can follow the show on social media at Podcast Silver on Twitter and Instagram. Search the Silver Screen Podcast on Facebook. And you can follow us on Letterboxd. Just click on the show description there and you can click the links to our Letterboxd profiles. And up next on the show, we're going to be reviewing Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Harrison Ford is 80 years old. He's back as Indiana Jones. Should he just hang it up? We'll maybe talk about that uh, next week because at this point he definitely could. Um. <laughs> yes, just setting the expectations um, for this. I, the bar is very low for me. Um, I wouldn't pick to see this movie, but for the podcast we will. But again, I well, the original ones are spectacular. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give it a go, but my expectations are very low going into this film. Understandable. So I've heard mixed things on it so far. Um, I'm interested. I am interested in adding Phoebe Waller-Bridge to the cast. Like if Mm. she's going to maybe take over the role of Indiana Jones and like this is, I don't know. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm just saying they could set it up to make that a possible storyline where that'd be fantastic. You know, she, she kind of takes over the reins from Harrison Ford because I don't think he can make another one of these. I think this is probably the last one. So at 80 years old. Um, so yeah, we'll talk about Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny. I hope there's a dial in it. Cause if not, I'm going to be very disappointed. Sure. So, <laughs> that's next week. Until next time, we'd like to thank the Academy. 